The Eeyore Effect What's the matter, Piglet? I asked. I was walking through the flowers just now, he said, singing a little song when Eeyore came up. Oh, Eeyore. What happened? He said, Be careful, little Piglet. Someone might pick you along with those pansies and put you in a vase on the mantel. And then what would you do? Then he walked away, chuckling to himself. Oh, don't mind Eeyore. He just likes to make others feel small, especially if they're smaller than he is anyway. That makes him look big, he thinks. I wouldn't mind his being miserable by himself if he enjoys it so. But why does he have to spread it around? There's something in each of us that wants us to be unhappy. It creates in our imaginations problems that don't yet exist, quite often causing them to come true. It exaggerates problems that are already there. It reinforces low self-esteem and lack of respect for others. It destroys pride and workmanship, order and cleanliness. It turns meetings into confrontations, expectations into dread, opportunities into danger, stepping stones into stumbling blocks. It could be seen as at work in grimaces and frowns which pull the muscles of the face forward and down, speeding the aging process. It contaminates the mind behind the face with its negative energy and spreads outward like a disease. And then it comes back projected and reflected by other unhappy minds and faces. And on it goes. Norman Cousins, editor of the Saturday Review for over 30 years, described the Eeyore effect in an article he wrote, following that magazine's demise. Whatever success the Saturday Review may have had was directly connected to its respect for the place of ideas and the arts in the life of the mind. This emphasis takes on special significance in the light of the sleaziness that has infected the national culture in recent years. There seems to be a fierce competition, especially in entertainment and publishing, to find even lower rungs on the ladder of taste. There's the curious notion that freedom is somehow synonymous with gutter jargon. At one time, people who worked in the arts would boast to one another about their ability to communicate ideas that attacked social injustice and brutality. Now some of them seem to feel that they have struck a blow for humanity if only they can use enough four-letter words. The debasement of language not only reflects but produces a retreat from civility. The slightest disagreement has become an occasion for violent reactions. Television has educated an entire generation of Americans to believe that the normal way of reacting to a slight is by punching someone in the face. The Eeyore effect can be seen in 
every socially accepted negative phenomenon, such as the growing number of elderly young people whose governing philosophy seems to be, it won't work, so why try? Or in today's death camp chic fashions and the popular ugly, skinny, angry look. Lobelia is dressed to kill or be killed in this stunning black leather ensemble, positively glowing with terrorist charm. It's the look, the appeal, the special touch that says Harley Davidson. Put away that knife, Lobelia. For heaven's sake, somebody please take it away from her before she causes some real harm. The original Eeyore had at least a certain grim sense of humor, a sort of funniness with its lights turned out. Latter-day yours seem to be missing that. One thing they do have, however, is fear. Yours are afraid, afraid to risk positive emotional expression, positive action, positive involvement, and anything beyond ego. Those things are stupid, they say, and they don't want to look stupid. They don't seem to mind looking paralyzed with fear. They just don't want to look stupid. Unfortunately for those around them, complaining is one thing that Eeyores are not afraid to do. They grudgingly carry their thimbles to the fountain of life, then mumble and grumble that they weren't given enough. Hello, Eeyores, said Christopher Robin, as he opened the door and came out. How are you? It's snowing still, said Eeyore gloomily. So it is. And freezing, is it? Yes, said Eeyore. However, he said, brightening up a bit, we haven't had an earthquake lately. Eeyores are realists, they say, but reality is what one makes it. And the more negative reality one nurtures and creates, the more of it one has. Eeyores see only what they want to. For example, never before in history has the individual had so much power and so many opportunities to affect change. That, ass that assertion excuse me, can be easily verified by taking a good look around. But the Eeyore effect makes a great many people believe that they are powerless. And because they believe they're powerless, they are. I don't know how it is, Christopher Robin, but what with all this snow and one thing and another, not to mention icicles and such like, it isn't so hot in my field about three o'clock in the morning. Without difficulties, life would be like a stream without rocks and curves about as interesting as concrete. Without problems, there can be no personal growth, no group achievement, no progress for humanity. But what matters about problems is what one does with them. Eeyores don't overcome problems. No, it's the other way around. And I said to myself, the others will be sorry if I'm getting myself all cold. They haven't got brains, any of them, 
only gray fluff that's blown into their heads by mistake. And they don't think. But if it goes on snowing for another six weeks or so, one of them will begin to say to himself, Eeyore can't be so very much too hot about three o'clock in the afternoon. And then it will get about and they'll be sorry. Eeyores, in other words, are whiners. They believe the negative, but not the positive, and are so obsessed with what's wrong that the good things in life pass them by unnoticed. They are the ones, then, to give us an accurate account of what life is about. Are they? If the universe was governed by the Eeyore attitude, the whole thing would have collapsed eons ago. Everything in creation, from migrating hummingbirds to spinning planets, operates on the belief that it can be done. To quote William Blake, if the sun and the moon should doubt, they'd immediately go out. Therefore, no society that wants to last is going to be guided by Eeyores, for Eeyores sneer at the very things that are needed most for survival and prosperity. As Lao Tse wrote, when they hear of the way, the highest mind practices it. The average mind thinks about it and tries it now and then. The lowest minds laugh at it. If they did not laugh at it, it would not be the way. Pardon me a moment, this letter just arrived. Fan mail for Pooh, I suppose, said Piglet enviously. For me, said Pooh, waking up suddenly. No, it's... Hmm. I'll read it to you. Dear Sir, it has come to my attention that in your trifling book, The Tao of Pooh, you failed to mention a single positive attribute of the most charming of A.A. A. Milne characters. I refer, of course, to the lovable Eeyore. It's beyond my understanding how anyone could overlook the merits of the affable, debonair, and instigating Eeyore. His wit and wisdom can serve as an example to all in these dark days that envelop us. Dark, said Pooh, looking out the window. Where? It's just a figure of speech, Pooh. Oh, one of those. He must have been in the dark when he wrote it, said Piglet, studying the letter. Do you mean the writing? It is pretty awful, but to continue. Yes, in these times of tedium and, and ineptitude, it is refreshing and encouraging to know that there exists such a valuable, admirable, and humble animal as Eeyore, a friend. P.S. Don't do it again. Well, now we've heard from uh, whoever it was who sent this letter. I have a feeling that we'll hear from him again. Let's look at some Eeyores around us. We will begin 
with what we call the negative news media. As Henry Thoreau wrote in Walden, I am sure that I never read any memorable news in a newspaper. If we read of one man robbed or murdered or killed by accident, or one house burned, or one vessel wrecked, or one steamboat blown up, or one cow run over, run over on the Western Railroad, or one mad dog killed, or one lot of grasshoppers in the winter, we never need read of another. One is enough. Today, thanks to the negative news media, we are over-informed about problems we can do little or nothing about. Despite the great fanfare made about these problems, few of them have much of anything to do with our lives. When it comes to those that do, such as the matter of what the local nuclear power plant is doing in our, to our health, the media are quite often silent. Strange. The negative news media rarely tells us of problems we can do something about and never tells us what we can do about them. That would give us an unfair advantage, we suppose. The negative news media sneer at everything and everyone and call that objectivity. Although there are courageous, noble-minded investigators and communicators in the news business, all too many of us rest, behave, of the rest behave like peeping toms with notebooks and cameras who seem more interested in destroying heroes than exposing villains. If the media build up some individuals in the public eye, it seems to be for the purpose of rubbing their remains in the public eye later on in order to sell automobiles and toothpaste. The heroes have flaws, we're told. Like Tigger, they can climb up, but not down. Their tails get in the way. So-and-so is just an ordinary man, after all. That's a crime. Such-and-such such is a crook. For some reason, however, the negative newsmongers tend to ignore the doings of the biggest crooks in the highest places, the ones who cause the greatest damage. Last month's admirable people are now in disgrace and will quickly fade from sight. A new set will pop up in the latest broadcast or magazine issue, like targets in a shooting gallery. They in turn will be gunned down, and so on. The engineering of this process reminds us of some other words of William Blake. A truth that's told with bad intent beats all the lies you can invent. In reality, heroes are heroic because they, despite their weaknesses, and sometimes because of them, do great things. If they were perfect, they wouldn't be here in Earth's classroom. Their strengths and weaknesses could be presented in an objective manner for the enlightenment of others. But that's not what the negative news media do. Instead, they focus on the flaws in the most sensational manner in order to make themselves wealthy. Who's going to take a chance at doing anything more than the mediocre and help others to do the same, knowing that the negative news media are awaiting an opportunity to bring him crashing to the ground before an audience of millions? Just as important, what effect does this constant character assassination 
have on that audience itself. To quote further from Henry David Thoreau, If I am to be a thoroughfare, I prefer that it be of the mountain brooks, the Parnassian streams, and not the town sewers. There is inspiration, that gossip which comes to the ear of the attentive mind from the courts of heaven. There is the profane and still revelation of the barroom and the police court. The same ear is fitted to receive both communications. We should treat our minds, that is, ourselves, as innocent, ingenuous children whose guardians we are, and be careful what objects and what subjects we thrust on their attention. Read not the times. Read the eternities. Oops, here he comes. Has anybody heard the news? asked Eeyore, walking gloomily into the room. What is it now? said I. Disaster! Horrendous, unspeakable disaster! I thought that was yesterday, or the day before. It's all in the papers, said Eeyore, ignoring me as best he could. At what time does the earth explode? I inquired, turning to look at the clock. Very amusing, said Eeyore, in a pathetic sort of way. And when, I asked, is the sun going dead? Ha ha, it's just what you would say, the sun going dead. Only don't blame me if it doesn't. All right, I won't, but I might blame you if it does. All this about newspapers, gossip, and such brings us to those classic Eeyore killjoys and sp spoil sports known as the critics. You know what they are, whether they be professional reputation smashers or the old grump next door. If you sing, they can sing better, even though they can't sing. If you dance, they can dance better, even though they can't dance. If you direct a theater production, they can direct better, even though they can't direct. Whatever you do, they can do it better, even though they can't do it as well as you can. And since they can't do it as well as you, it shouldn't be particularly surprising that they don't accurately judge it. Whether in condemning works of genius or in praising the truly awful, the critics tend to be wrong a disturbingly large amount of the time. Yet they can have tremendous influence just the same, and that influence is responsible for the tragic loss of much that would have been of benefit to the world. Chuang Tse described the limitations of the critics in his story about a know-it-all quail. There's a great bird known as the Piang. Its back appears as broad as a mountain range. Its wings are like clouds across the sky. It rises up like a whirlwind until it breaks through the high mist and soars into the infinite blue. As it glides effortlessly along on its journey, 
to the sea. A quail in the marsh looks up at it and laughs. What does that bird think it's doing, says the quail. I jump up and fly a few feet. Then I come down and flutter from here to there in the bushes. That is what flying is for. Who is that creature trying to fool? So it is that the knowledge of the small-minded cannot reach to that which is great, just as the experience of a few years cannot equal that of many. The mushroom of a morning knows not what takes place at the end of the month, and the short-lived cicada has no awareness of what happens in the seasons beyond. Our favorite story about the critics was told to us a few years ago by someone or other who'd heard it who knows where. While traveling separately through the countryside late one afternoon, a Hindu, a rabbi, and a critic were caught in the same area by a terrific thunderstorm. They sought shelter at a nearby farmhouse. That storm will be raging for hours, the farmer told them. You'd better stay here for the night. The problem is, there's only room enough for two of you. One of you will have to sleep in the barn. I'll be the one, said the Hindu. A little hardship is nothing to me. He went out to the barn. A few minutes later, there was a knock at the door. It was the Hindu. I'm sorry, he told the others, but there's a cow in the barn. According to my religion, cows are sacred, and one must not intrude into their space. Don't worry, said the rabbi. Make yourself comfortable here. I'll go sleep in the barn. He went out to the barn. A few minutes later, there was a knock at the door. It was the rabbi. I hate to be a bother, he said, but there's a pig in the barn. In my religion, pigs are considered unclean. I wouldn't feel comfortable sharing my sleeping quarters with a pig. Oh, all right, said the critic. I'll go sleep in the barn. He went out to the barn. A few minutes later... There was a knock at the door. It was the cow and the pig. The critics can be pretty intimidating, all right. One can't do or say much of anything without fear of offending this particular, very particular type of Eeyore. If you do or say the wrong thing, or the right thing, you may find yourself ostracized. But being ostracized by Eeyores has its advantages. At least you don't have to associate with. Ostracized, said Pooh. How could you be ostracized? Unless you're an ostrich. No, not ostrich-sized. Ostracized. That's rather large, isn't it? Said Piglet. They're very Big birds. No, not ostrich sized. Ostracized. They are big birds, said Owl. Now look here, all of you. In fact, the male of the genus Struthio can attain a height of eight feet and weigh of 300 pounds. One might imagine they can be quite dangerous when angered and Excuse me while I take this material into another room. It was the first party to which Rue had ever been, and he was very excited. 
As soon as ever they had sat down, he began to talk. Hello, Pooh, he squeaked. Hello, Roo, said Pooh. Roo jumped up and down in his seat for a little while, and they began again. Hello, Piglet, he squeaked. Piglet waved a paw at him, being too busy to say anything. Hello, Eeyore, said Roo. Eeyore nodded gloomily at him. It will rain soon. You see if it doesn't. Next we come to the educator Eeyores, whose idea of teaching is impress the maximum number of unpleasant things upon children at the minimum possible age. Perhaps in the past these Eeyores were stepped on once too often by the heel of fortune and now want to take out their frustrations on people smaller than they are. Perhaps they truly believe that their approach to teaching is the best, despite the fact that few of their graduating students can even spell or punctuate a sentence. We don't know. But we do know that their approach to education works against natural laws at practically every step of the way. Mentally, emotionally, and physically, the human being is designed for a long childhood followed by a short adolescence and then adulthood, the state of responsible, self-reliant wholeness. What we see children experiencing now, however, is an ever shorter childhood followed by a premature, prolonged adolescence from which ever fewer seem to be emerging. Rather than help children develop the abilities needed to overcome the difficulties immediately confronting them in the natural order in which they need to develop them, the Eeyore educational system, with a good deal of help from parents in the entertainment industry, is forcing too much inappropriate information on them too soon, concerning and causing problems that they can do nothing about. Then the children get stuck. In response to the declining test scores of recent years, the educational system has brought in vastly expensive machines to do the teaching. A sign of trouble if there ever was one. Learn to write from a computer and so on. Of course, it could have brought in people who knew how to write or whatever, to teach how to write, or whatever, on a volunteer basis, if necessary. But that would have been too simple, we suppose. Cheating, almost. Now this costly teaching technology is bankrupting the system. So in order to cut costs, the Eeyores are eliminating what they consider unnecessary classes. Art, creative writing, drama and so on. Classes that help students observe, reason, and communicate, as well as keep their spirits and the right sides of their brains alive. The Eeyore educational system sees childhood as a waste of time, a luxury that society cannot afford. Its response to the problems of vanishing childhood is to speed up the process Give the students more information, give it to them at a faster rate, and give it to them sooner. Put children in school at the earliest age possible. Load them down with homework. 
take away their time, their creativity, their play, their power, then unplug them, oh, excuse me, then plug them into machines. That'll whip them into shape. Well, it'll whip them anyway. Over 2,000 years ago, Zhuangzi described a similar situation. The ancient emperor Shun encouraged rivalry in the minds of the people. Children were born the usual number of months after conception, but five months after that, they were being taught to converse. Soon they were calling people by their titles and personal names. Then men began to die while still young. This governing provided order in name only. In reality, it pr produced chaos. It ran contrary to the light of the sun and the moon, brought harm to the mountains and rivers, and poisoned the fruit of the four seasons. It proved more deadly than the sting of a scorpion or the bite of a dangerous beast. The more that children are educated by eeyores, the more problems they develop. And the more problems they develop, the more the eeyores insist on educating them at an ever earlier age. The educator Eeyore's answer to the problems that the Eeyores create is crack down. The children's response is crack up. Piglet had got up early in the morning to pick himself a bunch of violets, and when he had picked them and put them in a pot in the middle of his house, it suddenly came over him that nobody had ever picked Eeyore a bunch of violets. And the more he thought of this, the more he thought how sad it was to be an animal who had never had a bunch of violets picked for him. So he hurried out again, saying to himself, Eeyore, violets. And then, violets, Eeyore, in case he forgot, because it was that sort of day. And he picked a large bunch and trotted along, smelling them and feeling very happy, until he came to the place where Eeyore was. Oh, Eeyore, began Piglet and a little nervously because Eeyore was busy. Eeyore put out a paw and waved him away. Tomorrow, said Eeyore, or the next day. Like the iron fist educators just mentioned, the following Eeyores work against natural laws and then complain about the results. In their behavior, they might be said to personify the opposite of the Taoist belief that the masculine and the feminine earth energies need to be kept in balance, and that when the masculine is excessive, the feminine needs to be advanced. The rather severe people we're thinking of might be called the Eeyore Amazons. They are emotionally descended from the Puritans, those grim souls who considered femininity no good, along with art, music, dancing, singing, the natural world, and practically everything else that makes life enjoyable. As do a number of other people, us included, the Eeyore Amazons call themselves feminists, but the word doesn't quite fit them, somehow. They don't like femininity. Instead, they covet masculinity. Strange. Very strange. Rather like certain joggers who are so 
automobile-oriented, that they run on asphalt highways, gulping down noxious gases with every breath. The Eeyore Amazons are so masculinity-oriented that they think of success, power, and all that in aggressive, combative, masculine terms. And so just when a good many of us men have discarded earth, family, and society-damaging machismo, along come the Eeyore Amazons, cursing and plundering like pirates in a bad Hollywood movie. Not exactly what we would call advancing the feminine. Yet even as they imitate and increase the worst sort of masculine energy, they denounce practically everything they dislike as masculine and a threat, to the extent of seeing masculinity and threats that aren't there. Stranger and stranger. For example, the Amazons want to eliminate what they call the masculine, neutral nouns, pronouns, and adjectives of the English language because they say these words are demeaning to women and they substitute words that are demeaning to everyone. First, they made us change chairman to chairperson, which meant the same thing as chairman, only it was harder to say, longer to write, and just a bit silly. After a while, recognizing that chairperson was indeed rather awkward and stupid, they made us change it to chair. You know what a chair is? It's a thing. You sit on it. So now, plain English has been turned into patronizing lawyer politicianese. If a person does not keep pace with his or her companions, perhaps it is because he or she hears a different drummer or drummerette. Let him or her step to the music which he or she hears, however measured or far away. And equally nonsensical, plural speak. If a person does not keep pace with their companions, perhaps it's because they hear a different drummer. For a classical example of what your politicianizing can do to a language, here's a not-so-brief-anymore passage from the Improved Organ Revised Statutes, one of many passages rewritten to avoid masculine terms and voted into law. When owned or leased by a farmer and used in transporting the farmer's own agricultural commodities, agricultural products or livestock that were originally grown or raised by the farmer on the farm of the farmer or when used in transportation, which is incidental to the regular operation of the farm of the farmer, or when to transport supplies, equipment, or materials to the farm of the farmer that are consumed or used on the farm of the farmer. When all the books and so on have been censored and rewritten to suit the Eeyore Amazons, precisely what will have been accomplished? And why are words so important to them anyway? For example, if they marry, they reject their husband's family names. These names are paternal and are therefore symbols of male chauvinism, they say. So they keep their unmarried names, which came from their fathers, and their fathers were strong advocates of women's rights? 
Behind their anti-masculine words, it's over-masculinity as usual, as the your Amazons imitate the lowest sort of masculine behavior and further the very energy they criticize. They break up men's clubs, which they say mean discrimination. Then they establish women's clubs, in which no men are allowed. They accuse men of being sexist, then they behave like sexists. They say they want sensitive men. When they encounter such men, they shove them about. To put it plainly, their new woman, their new woman, wants to be like the old man, and maybe even worse. In a world that's practically screaming for relief from the heavy-handed hyper-masculinity, the Eeyore Amazons give us more of the same. Who needs it? Countering hypermasculinity with hypermasculinity is rather like dowsing a fire by pouring gasoline on it. You can't beat sensitivity into people, but you can beat it out of them. Into what sort of future and what sort of world are the Eeyore Amazons pushing us? Where is respect for feminine going? As anyone can see, women are being used and abused more than ever. Never have they been portrayed so demeaningly in books, television shows, magazines, and movies. And according to statistics, the feminine side of the workforce is not being paid as much for its efforts as it was 20 years ago. The influence of the Eeyore Amazons may not exactly be setting femininity free, but is making it remarkably cheap. If truth be told, respect for the feminine is sinking like the Titanic, and consequently so is the state of the earth, the family, and society. The Eeyore Amazons blame men for all this. They might be wiser to blame misguided excessive masculine energy, including that which they are advancing. When the original Titanic went down, it was women and children first into the lifeboats. Now it's women and children last. As a young man explained to us after a particularly nasty remark to his secretary, we don't have to be nice to them anymore. As do Eeyores in general, the Eeyore Amazons want men to stop being chivalrous. Not that many are now anyway. Chivalry is patronizing and demeaning to women, they say. But is it? And is chivalry limited to the behavior of men toward women? Whether of the European or the Asian variety, the code of chivalry makes kindness, consideration, and respect fashionable and makes it admirable and desirable for the advantage for the advantaged, excuse me, to assist the disadvantaged. Without chivalry, its claw and fang, might makes right, kill or be killed. So we, along with the past Taoist writers, knight-errant and forest outlaws, would say, if you do away with chivalry and do away with the feminine, watch out. To close this chapter, we would like to quote from Hope Against Hope, a memoir in which Nahazada Mandelstam described the Eeyore effect at work in Stalinist Russia. Unfortunately, the principle involved is not limited to another society at another time, 
but is universal and ever-present. There were once many kind people, and even unkind ones pretended to be good because that was the thing to do. Such pretense was the source of the hypocrisy and dishonesty so much exposed in the realist literature at the end of the last century. The unexpected result of this kind of critical writing was that the kind people disappeared. Kindness is not, after all, an inborn quality. It has to be cultivated, and this only happens when it's in demand. For our generation, kindness was an old-fashioned, vanished quality, and its exponents were extinct, were as extinct as the mammoth. Everything we have seen in our times, the class warfare, the constant unmasking of people, the search for an ulterior motive behind every action, all this has been taught to us to be anything you like except kind. How can one begin to overcome the Eeyore within? and thereby begin to counteract the Eeyore effect. We will get to that in a moment, but first... 